New Thinking Allowed. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today I'd like to talk about the razor's edge of discernment. And it's particularly relevant in the sense that just yesterday, yeah, in other words, the day before this particular video is, is released, and I'm recording it uh, about a week early, <laughs> actually a week ahead of time, but I know the video schedule and the day before this video is released, you will have had an opportunity to view an interview with Angela Thompson Smith, an old friend I've known for 20, 30 years, uh, about remote viewing of ancient Atlantis. Now, I can tell you there, there was a time when I would never have released a video on that topic. I would have considered it at one time uh, off-bounds because there's no way to get feedback on remote viewing of ancient Atlantis. We we have no evidence. Well, maybe someday in the future, a hundred years from now, maybe we'll actually have concrete evidence regarding uh, the ancient Atlantean civilization. I know my friend Jason, for example, thinks it's buried under the Antarctica ice cap. So, uh, one of the big problems with remote viewing is, in fact, that, uh, or any intuitive process, not just remote viewing, any intuitive or psychic process, often you're looking at situations for which uh, it's not possible to obtain physical feedback. So, you have no way of gauging the accuracy of, of what you're doing. And for some people, that would seem to be well outside the realm of science, and indeed it is, at least for the time being. It's in the area of intuition. And as the former president of the Intuition Network, uh, I've taken a good hard look at the use of intuition. There are people who disparage it, and our culture as a whole disparages intuition of the four psychological functions identified by the great Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung. Intuition has the uh, least emphasis in Western culture. We much more highly value feelings, emotion, you know, music, soul, passion, or intellect, or sensation. But in, it, intuition is in last place in our culture, which suggests our culture is out of balance. However, uh, at, at the same token, the most successful people are highly intuitive. Inventors, entrepreneurs, people who know to be at the right place at the right time with the right idea. That's intuition. And it comes, I think, from a deep inner source. But with regard to remote viewing, one of my feelings was, at the time, 
some 20 years ago, more than that, 1996, as I recall, is when the government stopped its formal funding of uh, the remote viewing program. And at that time, the rumors were that the uh, program had sort of degenerated to the point where uh, the original uh, pro project managers inside the government were gone and the program was being turned over to new people who wanted to have nothing to do with it. And uh, also, at, at the same time, you had people in the program who were doing things like Angela, my friend, is doing using remote viewing to look at aliens and UFOs and ancient Atlantis and things for which it was not possible to achieve scientific validity. It puts us in a funny position, but the truth is this, that almost every day, each of us is required to make decisions for which we lack adequate information or understanding to make a purely rational scientific choice. So, we're forced to rely on our intuition. And we all do it, for better or worse. Now, with regard to parapsychology, I mentioned the razor's edge earlier, the razor's edge of decision-making, the razor's edge of discernment that we all face. As a parapsychologist, I'm keenly aware of it because, on the one hand, in our culture at large, you have a big chunk of the academic scientific community who, in spite of the fact that there are now well over a thousand scientific experiments in, in the areas of extrasensory perception and psychokinesis, you find, especially in the United States, almost zero, almost zero academic programs available. It's not considered yet a respectable topic. And it's one of the reasons I launched this TV series, as a matter of fact, or this video series on YouTube, because I felt very lonely having a doctoral degree in, in the field, not really being employable at any mainstream university because of that fact. And within academia, well, you basically have the uh, general attitude, which was expressed to me, I think, very clearly by uh, Dean William Shack when he tried to revoke my doctoral degree in parapsychology. He said to me, major universities don't award degrees in parapsychology. It was the case then. I'm the one exception in the United States, at least. And uh, it's largely the case today. And then on the other side of the razor's edge, I hear from viewers on a regular basis who say, this stuff is real all right, but it's demonic. Should be avoided at all costs. It's, it's the occult. It's Luciferian. It's satanic. It's demonic. And you will only be deceived by it. So, you have a big chunk of the population that believes it's definitely real, but it's evil. Another big chunk of the population that believes it's all a mistake. 
And an interesting person to look at in, in this regard is Susan Blackmore, uh, whom I met back in the 1970s at the Parapsychological Association. She got a doctoral degree in parapsychology. Uh, well, it was in psychology to my knowledge, but it, doing parapsychological research at the University of Surrey in uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, and she was an out-of-body experiencer, but eventually she shifted gears dramatically. She began debunking the field, joined the Skeptic Society, and is uh, received all sorts of awards and is considered something of a hero amongst the skeptics. And I'm pretty sure if you talk to Susan today, she would say that uh, she doesn't believe that psi, the word parapsychologists use, for extrasensory perception and psychokinesis really exists. She would say it's a, a cognitive error of some sort. And even her own out-of-body experiences, she would tend to define as a cognitive error. In fact, to my knowledge, she considers herself an illusionist, which means that and this is tricky, but she, she thinks, uh, to my understanding, these illusionists think consciousness itself is an illusion, or at least the idea that we have free will is an illusion. And she's a Zen Buddhist practitioner. Uh, well, in her own way, I'm sure she's on the razor's edge. You see, we all have to find it for ourselves. Each one of us has to pick our way through this minefield of uh, false choices. I can't tell you how to do it for yourself. I can only share with you uh, the way I've been able to do it. And uh, it's made me uh, extremely happy maybe the, uh, the best word, extremely gratified uh, because for me, the razor's edge is working very well. I feel like uh, I'm able to communicate it. I'm able to share it with you. I am not beholden to any institution. For a long time, that was a problem uh, for me. Couldn't find normal employment, but in, in the long run, it's worked out for the best. I don't subscribe to uh, everything that uh, is espoused by guests on this program, but I believe they deserve to be heard and studied and analyzed and taken seriously. And I say that today about my friend Angela and her uh, remote viewings of ancient Atlantis. There's another area to the razor's edge as well, and it is the imaginal realm which is a realm that uh, by some philosophers, such as Henri Corbin, it would be considered ontologically real, but it is neither physical, concrete, real in the sense of a conventional empirical science, uh, nor is it purely imaginary. It's imaginal. It's uh, akin to what uh, my friend Jason Reza Giorgiani would call the spectral. And it really deserves a separate topic because it's right in on the razor's edge between real and not real. It's a good place to be, actually. A very good place, a very healthy place to be. 
uh, I will have to delve more deeply into the imaginal realm in a future monologue. But for now, let me close by asking you this. What is the razor's edge of discernment in your life? What are you willing to accept? What are you willing to provisionally accept? What do you out and out reject? And are there areas in your life where perhaps you accept as certainties things that maybe you ought not to be so certain about? And perhaps you reject as impossibilities things that you might want to reconsider and think about. I can tell you this, I'm always doing both. I'm always looking at these things, and that puts you on the razor's edge of growth in your life. So I'll leave you with those questions, and thank you for being with me.